The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. And welcome to another edition of The Wizard Files, the special interview series where we go behind the scenes with members of the Wizard Magazine staff who help to fill its pages month in and month out. Now, this time around, we're talking with a man who first appeared in the masthead of Wizard Magazine with issue 75 as promotions manager, who was coordinating all the contests and exclusives and more cool stuff with all your favorite purveyors of geeky wares. And we're excited to welcome to the show this time around, Ben Plavin. How you doing? Hi, how are you, Adam? Excellent. Uh, you know, I love social media because all these wizard alumni come out of the woodwork and they're like, hey, I remember that. I worked on that. And that's how we got in touch with you. That was very fun. Yeah. Uh, so let's just kind of start at the beginning here because we're talking about you working at Wizard Magazine. But are you, were you a comic book fan? And if so, how did oh, you discover yeah. comics? Way back. I was a dyed in the wool geek. I've almost always been a geek and uh, I'll die one as well. I'm not as hardcore as some, but uh, I definitely was reading Superman comics at, when I was six years old and I saw, you know, Superman, the movie in the theater. I'm old enough to have, you know, experienced all the greatest of sci-fi firsthand. I, I see like in your background here, for those who are listening to our audio version here, you're not seeing what we have, but I mean, I see enterprises. I see large, yeah. like, you know, Mego style Star Wars figures. So like, what is your, what would you say is your biggest side of fandom that you're on? I'd have to say Star Trek. Star Trek's my huge, you can see back there, that is a Star Trek costume I wore when I was like, six or seven and it's also boxed with my son's costume that he wore when he was that age too wow that's awesome <laughs> very fun uh so let's talk about this then you know obviously you're you're a fan of genre you know you like science fiction you like all those things but how did you first encounter wizard magazine were you a reader before oh, you i was a fan I, I was reading and buying wizard magazine just like everybody my first real job was at fleer skybox trading cards i worked on Marvel cards, and then I worked on DC cards. I did some Babylon 5 trading cards. And I also, like the late, great Mike Bashula, who just who passed, unfortunately, was a big fan of working at the conventions. You know, we'd go there and hit unsuccessfully on booth babes and uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and just try and get free stuff. But uh, it was always fun going to those shows. And that's where I first started. Well, actually, I was working at FLIR. And then one of the divisions I worked for is something called PhotoCard, where you can make your own picture in a, into a trading card. Rob Liefeld just posted one of those on his Instagram today. So oh, really? Crazy. I didn't know that existed. That's wild. Yeah. So I was doing these for Star Trek. And so I have pictures on my Instagram of me with like, you know, Chekhov and Sulu and Scotty. So the people who were running the conventions for FLIR and doing all of this, they were asked by the folks at Wizard to help them when they bought the Chicago show. And I had left FLIR at that time where I was working part time. And the folks that I had known at FLIR brought me on board to help with all of the celebrity guests. Like I met John Q. Delancey and Peter Mayhew, and I was just like helping them get from place to place. So it was kind of a boy Friday for, you know, working that show in 1997. And Fred Pierce, 
who was the CFO of Wizard. He and I met, we talked. I think he liked my hustle. <laughs> and so he asked me to join Wizard. He brought me in as the promotions manager. I would arrange contests and exclusive content for the magazines, all of them. Not just Wizard and Toyfer, but also Inquest and Sci-Fi Invasion, which was what we talked about. It wasn't always a popular decision to bring someone in from the business side to handle this. Editorial wanted to have a much stronger hand in that. And Fred thought it was a business function. So, you know, there was a little friction there, but there was also a lot of input from editorial as to what we would do next. Yeah. And I'm curious. So the promotions manager prior to you is a guy named Mike Martz. Did you have any yes. interaction with him or was he already out? Yeah, there actually, Mike time? actually wound up working for me. I'm not sure how that worked in Fred's eyes. Yeah. But I worked together. Mike was working for me. I was brought in to, you know, to help. I guess, bring it to another level. I don't know. Mike was a really good guy and he went on to do great things. You know, the team was myself and Mike for a time, Kathy Newman and Maria Capello and Ian Feller, who had worked at uh, uh, another com at another comic magazine. And we were a team working together, trying to organize things and keep everything moving forward. Now, were you working out of the Conger's office then as soon as yes, you got the uh -huh. job? We were upstairs. Okay. We were upstairs in the corner. The upstairs is pretty much the business area. And we were upstairs in the office next to the circulation office and the sales office. And so, you know, you said there was maybe a little friction there, but what were your first impressions of the wizard offices, just the space in general? And then as you started meeting the staff and editorial and oh, everything it was else? just fun. It was just fun. I mean, it was my second real job. And so I'd never worked in an environment that had, you know, where they had pinballs in the lobby and foosball tournaments and pizza party and video game wrestling uh, every Wednesday night. You know, it was just, you know, it's like all the perks you hear about uh, for Silicon Valley. Wizard was doing it first, you know, and uh, it was just a, it was just a really fun environment and uh, and. You know, all the guys in editorial like Pat McCallum and Scott Beatty, they were so funny and they were so smart and they were so on top of their game. It was a, it was a really good time to work there. It was great. I was very sad to hear when Pat passed away. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we did a whole tribute episode to him because it was just like, wow, we got to celebrate this guy. And I'm curious that, you know, most of the uh, the people we've talked to were on the editorial side, but they always talk about the people upstairs, you know, like it's kind of a little bit sort like sort of in between. Okay, yeah. I was sort of in between because I was a geek, but I reported to Fred. And I, I, I would have loved to have been involved in writing sessions for the big shots or any of the other stuff. But uh, they had dance space and we had our dance space. But, you know, editorial was very heavily involved in what went on upstairs as far as promotions were concerned. They wouldn't want a promotion from a lame company. They wanted it from somebody who they find interesting, you know. And so like with things like um, Inquest Magazine, I wasn't always up on what was happening in the gaming industry. So they would let me know and we would talk about what was coming out. And I would reach out to these companies like Decipher or Wizards of the Coast when they were just Wizards of the Coast. And I would say, hey, you know, you have this coming out this month. Would you like to do a promotion or run a contest to help promote that? You know, and some of the some of the cooler promotions we did. I'm going to pull out again. This is talking about Inquest, but I don't know we're talking about Toy Fair and Wizard. Oh. But one of the coolest things we did at Inquest were these super large cards for Decipher's Star Trek game and their Star Wars game. And that's a large Slave Leia card that was put in the polybag. <laughs> Here's the large Lacutus of Borg. We also did tiny cards that had Jawas on them. So that too. <laughs> now, were these considered playable cards or were they just promotional? Oh, no. How, how would you hide them in your deck? <laughs> 
so I'm curious about that process. Like you say, so let's, let's just kind of go through like, you know, on a weekly basis as you're trying to talk about, okay, what's our next promotion going to be? How would that start out? Was it generally, would they come to you and say, Hey, we it have was a list. Both. It was both, you know, you know, when you're it was the big guys like Marvel, you sometimes go to them or if they have some, you know, you know, they have a big promotion coming up, they might come to you. But when it comes to the smaller companies, you, you know, they sometimes come to you and reach out, Hey, we're doing this. We'd like to promote it. But when it came to, so contests were always trying to figure out what was going on editorially in the magazine, you know, and what was happening in the real world of products that were being produced and trying to find some happy medium, you know, and kind of reaching out to the company and saying, like I said, Hey, you want to promote your product this way. That's, that sort of seems like because, you know, definitely it, it always seemed to tie into a theme, whether there was an article in the magazine or it was something that was on the cover. Right. The contest definitely was. So editorial had a strong hand in what was going on. On our mini episodes, I read every contest. I read, you know, all the bits and pieces, all the prizes. We read just every piece of it because it's, it's such a fun part of the magazine. And there are, in fact, people that have said in the past, I just bought Wizard for all the contests because there was so many things to win and toy fair and 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 it's fun reading the the tiny details of things they put in you know the licensors the the, the manufacturers they had to read and approve all the contests but i doubt they read all the fine print <laughs> <laughs> I know. And th- there are some great jokes in there. The one thing I've noticed, and I don't know if it's anything you're fully aware of why it would be, but there would be wizard sponsored contests, like, you know, obviously in collaboration with, you know, a publisher or a toy company or whoever. But then sometimes, for example, Marvel would run a contest that it seemed came directly from them because there would be no jokes in the fine print. And it would be like, well, just well, you know. that's because Mar- they wouldn't let us do that, that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, we, you know, we created all the contests or work with them, but no, it all came through us. It all worked through us. At least I I think so. But (laughs) there were people who didn't want to put any jokes in the fine print. With that, though, I, I want to mention, I'm just going to throw out a couple of contests that stood out to me from your tenure as uh, the promotions manager. I don't Can't know. I'll remember them, but okay. Yeah. But just some of these, like, it's just a fun time. Like, for example, there was the Find the Goat contest from Quantum and Woody the Comics. Quantum and Woody, right. Yeah. And so they, they actually threw out all the acclaimed comics books. They were hiding the goat. You had to buy all the books to find right. him and enter. So that was one. Another fun one was Win a Double Date with Jimmy Palmiotti and Amanda Connor. <laughs> contest and wizard was going to provide a date for whoever yeah, well, jimmy and amando uh, joke aside they were good friends of the magazine right even before marvel knights they were people that the magazine thought were hot and up and coming and they were also funny and interested in participating and working and nelson de castro yeah that cadre of guys they were like royalty to wizard they were also very heavily involved in the wizard awards you know, when we would do those big every year at the Chicago Wizard Fan Awards doing the presentations, you know, I remember Nelson going up and doing his, sorry, his- Did uh, you do an impressions? Columbo impression. Yeah. His Columbo impression. That's, <laughs> uh, those are the kind of things that stick out to you. You know, they were always willing to help out and work with us, especially the smaller companies. They are always willing to do something fun and interesting. Yeah. I mean, there was one, it, it predates you, but I don't know if you ever heard of it, which was they wanted you to create- any type of sculpture of the character Pit, but out of meat. <laughs> and you had to create Jesus out of Christ. meat. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not aware of that. I've always wondered if anybody even entered that because we never saw like a winner of this contest listed in the magazine. I don't remember any meat sculptures. <laughs> 
you know, obviously there was also like win an invitation to the wizard Halloween party, which is something all the geeks reading would be very excited about. And I went course, as Starman one year. And I, and I see you're wearing a Starman uh, promotional yes. shirt right now, which is awesome. But uh, the, uh, the big, big thing every year, right? And they'd been doing it uh, long before you took over was the wizard scavenger hunt. How involved were you in that? Or was that like 100% Pat McCallum saying like, I love this. I'm doing this. It was all Pat McCallum. Okay. Yeah. And I, I remember we had a warehouse and one of the parts of the warehouse was just full of the, the crap people would send in. That was part of the scavenger hunt. Just boxes and boxes of random shit. So much of it was kept around. I don't know why, but they kept it. That is wild. Yeah. That they would just chuck it. They're like, oh, we got it. I don't know. <laughs> you're not going to throw it away. Yeah. Now, this just also random question just by chance, but do you remember like just anything that was like too outrageous? Like did anything ever come to mind for you? Like, I remember they wanted to do this and this company said no, even if it wasn't like, you know, terrible, like offensive, but it was just like, they were not into that idea. I, I don't recall anything so crazy. And I was much more involved with the, the, the exclusive offers because much less editorial, much more business because we would have to order them and we would have to, you know, organize packaging and all of this other stuff stuff. We worked with Galoo. We'd done an X-Wing from their Micro Machines line, their Action Fleet line, and it did well for us. And so we were lined up to do a uh, Millennium Falcon, you know, and uh, at the last minute, they pulled it. Lucasfilm said, no more exclusives, no more boxes with Toy Fair's name on it or anybody's name on it. Everything has to go to their fan club first. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because I wanted to get into you with that because, yeah, we were talking a lot about the contest, but honestly, you, there were so many exclusive that the Wizard was offering at this time. So let's let's talk a little bit about the Toy Fair action figures and kind of all that idea. Well, here's one thing I wanted to mention. I, yeah. um, this is one of the coolest things I worked on. This was an insert that Kenner... Sorry, Hasbro paid for. This is inserts all about the Batman action figure line, about Batman Beyond. And so it was really just a lot of fun about new products coming out. We even had a contest in the back where you had to identify all the Jigsaw Batman pieces. Wow, yes. I think I used to have this somewhere in oh. the bottom of a box. Yeah, because because there was another one for Toy Fair where Toy Biz did the same thing, where it was like this mashup figure and you had to identify yes. the pieces. Yeah. And this was at the, this was actually, I remember the big thing was that this was actually in the Toy Fair magazine at Toy Fair that year. And oh. so it was a real big calling card for us to say, listen, you know, if you're a toy company and you want to do something, you can do it with us and you get a lot of free publicity. Not free, you pay for it, but publicity. And it really was a corner we turned and we started working with, you know, a lot more companies. Yeah, we were just talking to Doug Goldstein about sci-fi invasion. You know, we had a whole episode interviewing him about that experience. And there was the one Picard figure, the very last issue. But Doug reminded us is that, yeah, we pretty much always just took either existing parts to create a new figure or we just did repaints. So was that always yes. in your mind as you were promoting like that to the company? Be like, hey, we could just do this and this. This will work, right? Exactly. Well, this was the first one I did. I met the best man at my wedding doing this one, a guy named Chris Overly, who actually reached out to you. Thing on Instagram. Yeah. The Tapestry Tupa cards, my favorite figure. It's the first one I ever did. First toy I ever made. It's funny. I just want to show you how this was the packaging it came in. And we eventually went into a color box and then a color window box. Ooh. So, you know, we were able to really up our game as far as what the fans were getting for their buck. Yeah. But usually started with a conversation like, hi, what do you got? And they would sometimes come out, come to us with figures they had no place for. 
Like no one's searching out Tapestry to Picard. Uh, I think Playmates was, I'm not sure where they were in their run, but this wasn't something they were interested in doing. And so they offered it to us and we bought too many, but uh, <laughs> it was it was offered, I think in Sci-Fi Invasion and in Toy Fair at the same oh, time. Okay. It was really cool. And I've always thought it's odd that he has a green shirt as opposed to, it's supposed to be like a teal, mm. but you know, it is what it is. It's an alternate universe. What are you going to do? I, I do have one question because uh, we recently had Greg Orlando on. And yeah, so, so we have Fairchild here. And this, yes. so the question I have was he showed us an actual uh, prototype that was sent in that he still had where the thong was a little too tiny and there seemed to be other yes. issues. So what do you remember about how having to request a revision of that figure, if anything. Well, it was more, it wasn't us who requested it. It was, you think we would have been the ones to say, oh, that thong <laughs> is too little. I know from uh, an editorial point of view, I would not have had the temerity to suggest that our readers would, would be offended by a tiny thong, <laughs> nor would I, nor would I suggest that, you know, the rest of the staff at our team would say, oh, oh heavens. So I'm not sure where that came from, where the, but I, I know that the fact that she had a, a much tighter thong in the, the original costume version as opposed to what was released. Oh, okay. So, yes. Glad to have that confirmed. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. Um, now, obviously, I just want to make sure we're understanding too. So, you know, these are inserts, these are promotions for mail away offers. Like, were you very involved in like the half issues or the ace editions, like for the comic books? Or Not the other... ace editions per se, but the okay. halves I definitely was. You know, you, you make the deal with the publisher and you say, this is what they're, they're willing to offer. I can't remember if we printed it or if they printed it but i believe that we printed it so that they would all be the same but they would provide all the artwork they would you know it was basically a marvel product with our logo on the, on the front right and you would release both like the standard edition which i assume was the one that when people just mailed in the coupon and it came back but then there would be the special edition or sometimes like a gold logo edition or something do you know if I like for those, those going here. exactly so with that is that something that would go just to like the retailers or do you think was that just I, I honestly, I don't recall, but I believe that's what it would be. That's yeah. that's to me, if I was doing that, that would be my first tier for a retailer exclusive. And then, of course, you get to the Ace Editions, which were separate and uh, separate and beautiful things in their own right. Now, also, were you handling everything that was going in the poly bags with the magazine as well? Were you having to coordinate that like a trading card? Or... Yeah, yeah. Like this item was, a, was an inclusion in the poly bag. Uh, any posters? I remember... One of the most difficult things getting organized was the Christmas tag in the holiday issue. Yes. Because that had like yeah. all different publishers, you know, uh, just getting that all organized. And they were all contributing a little financially to get it printed, you know, so it was a business transaction as well. And so we provide the template, they provide the artwork and we get it printed. And it was just really difficult hurting all those cats in the same direction. Yeah. Now I'm curious as well, because obviously you're working with so many different publishers, lots of different companies. They're in different spheres, but a lot of them, you know, focus on comic book characters or whatever. But did you have a particular company that was the easiest to work with or you felt like was always game and you were always working with them month in and month out? Did you have a preference in any way? Marvel was... I think one of the most hardest to work with, but also the most reliable, hmm. if that makes sense. They had a lot more hoops to go through and they were a lot more particular, hmm. you know, but you could always count on them to come through in the end. Okay. Um, we did a few products with uh, Hasbro 
and they were always good to work with. They they were really interested in helping us out with contests and exclusive figures like this Reverse Flash. But I think the easiest one to work with was Toy Biz hmm. when it came to making your own figure. They were willing to help us out a lot. They were willing to work with us because Marvel had such a deep bench of characters and they had so many things that they could do. Like This was a Daredevil, repainted Daredevil. And so we were able to do this with Toy Biz and... Uh, that's a figure. I don't know. That's, that's a good figure. It looks, but it's just a repainted Daredevil. Yeah. But they were also going to mix match heads and colors. Do you remember any particular projects that you were pushing for, for an exclusive, like something that you're just like, I'm so gung ho on this. Can we get this done guys? And maybe it wasn't anybody else's cup of tea, but you're like, I think people are going to love this. Is there anyone you were extra passionate about? Nothing that jumps out at me is something that I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. One of the things, one of my favorite figures that we did is the Astro City Confessor with the -the glow-in-the-dark cross on his chest. I love this figure. It's so obscure and so cool. I could show this to 100 people and only two of them might know what it is. I doubt that today. And even one of them would know what it is. But it's so cool. I mean, Astro City at the time was so groundbreaking. And to come out with a figure based on a vampire Batman character... It was just the best. Yeah, the power of wizard, right? The kind of stuff you guys could do over there. Now, with something like Sci-Fi Invasion, it was not necessarily a popular magazine at the time. They were pushing all they could. Do you have any recollections of having difficulty trying to get promotional tie-ins for an unknown magazine you were just launching? No, it wasn't that tough because, you know, there wasn't a lot out there. There was, you know, there's Starlog and everything, but we had the power of Wizard behind us. Mm-hmm. Wizard was a juggernaut in the in the genre industry at the time. And so Sci-Fi Invasion was, I loved it. It was my favorite magazine. Doug did a great job developing it. And it was his baby. And I was so sad when I heard it was canceled. But it was just a really, I thought it was really a great publication. And, you know, this was just a perfect fit for it, you know, because it's the sci-fi figure. When we talk about, you know, just the the various promotional inserts and items, now obviously you had a connection to Fleer Skybox. Did you put that to use uh, quite a bit in your conversations? Because I know there often be contests like, you know, you get a, a whole set of cards or you get, you know, the, the signed cards or whatever it might be like. Or was that trading card boom kind of waning at this time? It was waning at the time. I don't remember many trading cards that we did with Fleer as inserts. That was something that wasn't just offered to us. I remember we did a number of different, like, we did trading cards of different sorts, but they were like our own trading cards. We made our own Right, the wizard chromium. We did this one, we did this one chromium card. I think it was like a pop-up card. It was like die cut. So it was a chromium card of Iron Man that you could pop up and it would, could fold it down so it would stand on its own. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely got, there was a Spider-Man die cut, like Batman versus Wildcat. Now the time has come. We asked this of all our interviewees but Garib Seamus, cool or fool? Well, I work with Garib on a different level than most of the editorial did. And my, if I brought in things that made money and I was making Fred happy, Garib was happy. So for the most part, Garib was cool to me. So I could treat him as cool. You know, I, I know he didn't have the same reputation with all the fellows downstairs. So I never had the problems with Garib that other, others had. Although Garib once said to me, and I've thought about this about other bosses, says, I need to see everything that goes out. I may change it just because, just because, but I need to see everything. 
Interesting philosophy. Okay. And you mentioned, you know, some of the fun times, Wizard, the video game competitions and all those things, but do you have a particular like moment of hijinks or something that you observed in the Wizard offices that has always stood out to you? It jumps out at me. Okay. Because like I was upstairs and the hijinks were mostly downstairs. Yeah, that's why know? That's why I was wondering, like, did it? was there ever like the crossover of the upstairs and the downstairs that led you to all be together and then like, oh, and then this happened. But we would hear the laughter. We just weren't always invited to uh, participate in the laughter. That's no, but no, there wasn't any animosity, you know, between upstairs, downstairs kind of thing. But they were definitely having more fun doing their job than I was having mine. (laughs) Now, let me just put this out there. Is there a question related to your work and your job at Wizard that I haven't asked yet? Is there something that you feel needs to be explained about all the, you know, the, the ins and outs of the promotion side of Wizard? Well, I don't know about the dead hookers everyone's talking about. <laughs> I don't know where they were buried. That was mostly a downstairs thing. Uh, but aside from that, uh, no, there wasn't many things that uh that you covered most of everything you know mm-hmm. uh i left uh while you were you actually one of the questions you want to know why i i left yeah the guy who i developed this with uh, chris overly he originally was a playmate set in, out in california but he moved and joined a company named toy mags out in long island and he got me an interview and uh until i joined wizard i didn't realize i I really wanted to make toys for a living so when that opportunity came i I jumped on it and so uh, fred was very happy for me that you know this opportunity come along and uh, so was garib and so you know i've been in toys and actually candy ever since i'm working on toys now i'm working in plush i'm doing garbage fell kids plush cool (laughs) and we also have a product line we created called sandwiches which are uh, sandwich animals that's super cute my daughter would love that (laughs) you can find these at thesandwiches.com okay so Going from Wizard, you get into toys, you never look back. You just take it on different projects. The the thing is, I kept in touch with uh, my friends like Karen Avora and Maria Capello because I would see them every year at Wizard World Philly. And I started bringing my son like the year he was born. He's been to every Wizard World Philly show since. You know, I was carrying him in a baby Bjorn, then in a stroller, and then he was able to make his own decisions about how he gets around. So it was great to see all the people like Fred. And I'm not tearing up. I just am really. Not so emotional about your time at Wizard. Okay. Yeah. Let me just ask you, what was your opinion of this era? You know, Wizard is buying conventions right when you're hiring in. That's how you got in. And how did you feel about how they were running things all those years? I wasn't as involved with conventions after that first one. I wasn't as involved with them. It seemed to be like a completely different brain. It was like a completely different entity that was outside the magazine and promotions and all the other structures that were, you know, it seemed like just this completely different animal. And so, you know, a lot of us weren't as involved. Some, you know, I would go and I would I would help out at shows every once in a while. Uh, but I, I also know that, you know, they, they ran a pretty good show, especially those first few years. Yeah. And as you look back on the legacy of Wizard and Toy Fair and Inquest, you know, like not around now, but a lot of people know the names if you, you know, grew up in that era, if you were a fan in that era. But what, what do you think the legacy of all those publications is at this point in time? 
Well, one of the interesting legacies is, of course, what Twisted Amigo Theater grew into, you know, with Doug Goldstein and uh, and uh, Seth Green. What's the name of the show? Robot me. Chicken. Robot Chicken. Yeah. Thank you. And so that's the big I think that's one of the biggest uh, unsung legacies of Wizard Magazine is is the is this show which has gone on and, and work with Star Wars and work with George Lucas and work with a lot of big names in the industry. And really been an impressive monument to, you know, Spider-Man making toilet jokes. <laughs> and just getting back to, again, the, these years following your, your your two years at Wizard and being in the toy industry, what are some of the lines and toys and products you were involved in that people might, you know, have bought back in the day that they might have been excited about? Because people are probably saying like, oh, well, what was he doing? <laughs> I worked on a lot of small companies no one's ever heard of. Uh, <laughs> I did work at Mattel for a short time. I worked on uh, the Mattel's. They had a Harry Potter line. I worked on Matchbox cars. And I, then I worked at Frankfurt Candy, who does a lot of the licensed candy, like Nickelodeon candy. And I've been working in toys for a while. I worked at the company called The Wish Factory, <clears throat> then uh, Uncanny Brands. And now I'm with a company called Licensed to Play. And well, like I said, the biggest profile thing I've worked on is the Garfell Kids plush. Well, that, that's so interesting because it sounds like all the way along the line, you have this background of, I know how to deal with a company to bring their license, put it on something, make it part of something. You're like, uh, yeah. so in your experience <laughs> after all these years, what is the most important component of getting a company essentially to to be excited or to, to play ball with, with what you want to apply their license to? It really isn't a financial thing when it comes to that. It comes down to the relationships you develop. I developed a really strong relationship with a, a woman in Hasbro, and she was just willing to work with us and do whatever. And Hasbro didn't need us. You know, Batman and Star Wars are going to sell no matter what Toy Fair puts out. But they were willing to work with us and create promotions and create figures and create, you know, Luke's X-Wing from the Dagobah Swamp. <laughs> Toy, Fair logo, Toy Fair's logo on it and Wizard's logo on it. That's because I worked to develop the relationship. And that's what it comes down to is who you work with. You know, there are assholes and jerks everywhere. But, you know, if you can find good people to work with, then you're going to have a much better life and things will go a lot easier for you. That's for sure. There's your lesson. The more you know. Do, do, right. do. You guys got it. No, that's great. Well, Ben, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing your experiences and your stories. Because, yeah, I mean, you got to do a lot of the fun things everybody else wishes was their job, right? So, yeah, <laughs> I would say building characters, my favorite properties. It's just more fun than you know what to, to do with yourself. You know, it's just great. And that does it for another edition of The Wizard Files. Thanks again to Ben Plavin for reaching out and being available to share his insight. Of course, during this discussion, we saw a lot of his collection of vintage wizard exclusives. Well, if you want to get the visual on those, go on over to our YouTube channel, Wizards Podcast, and you will be able to see them and actually uh, take in the visuals of all he was offering. But if you're looking for exclusives these days, the place to find them is on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wizards comics, where you would have gotten this discussion about a week early. You would have been able to hear and see all the visuals before for anybody else, but not only that, you are getting PDF scans of each issue that we're covering, you are getting access to exclusive bits of content that are uncut and only available on Patreon. Of course, you've got a community of people there to discuss Wizard Magazine with as well, but additionally, if you are enjoying bonus episodes like these, for our $7 tier, that's our Heroes in Motion level, you can actually get an extra bonus podcast each month of our 90s Super Cinema series, where we are 
are discussing 90s superhero and comic book based films. We've already talked about Batman Forever. We've talked about The Phantom. We're gearing up for the month of April to talk about Spawn from 1997. So if you want to get on over there and enjoy all the perks plus an extra bonus episode each month, hey, join up. You also get access to our exclusive Discord, which is a 24-hour discussion of 90s comics whenever and wherever you're feeling like it. But of course, we want you to connect with us on social media as well, at Wizards Comics, on Twitter, at Wizards underscore comics, on Instagram. But hey, until next time, we're closing the files. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.